This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. Hi, I'm beauty business content specialist Deanna Utrusky, and to me, it's a matter of thought leadership. fine line between collaboration and competition. I'm Kelly Kovac, founder of Beauty Matter. Conceptually, they can coexist, and they're not mutually exclusive. Competition is easy to define. It's grounded in one party winning and the other losing. Collaboration is harder to define and only truly works when intentions are aligned. Strategic alliances can be powerful, but they are also constantly evolving because cooperation has limits and you have to defend against competitive compromise. There is power in the ability to navigate this paradigm. Deanna Utrusky is an editor at Cosmetic Design. She is the consummate collaborator who approaches cooperation with an open heart and a generous spirit, always willing to share her knowledge, her contacts, and her time. Anna, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Kelly. Thank you so much. This is awesome. Yeah. You know, I suppose many people might view us as competitors, but, you know, there's a fine line between collaboration and competition. And I'm a reader of cosmetics design, have been, you know, for a long time. And I love your insights and the way you write. So here we are. I'm always happy to collaborate with anyone who wants to collaborate. If you want to compete, I'm happy competing too, <laughs> but I prefer collaboration. So thank you so much for, for taking us up on the, the absolutely, invitation. Absolutely. And I, I love that you framed the conversation that way because I am much more in favor of collaboration than competition, I think, as we conventionally know it, especially, I think, try as we might, even if we were trying to do exactly the same thing. We would each bring something very different to our readers or our audience, you know, wherever that is. And I think, I think there's value that can come from a lot of different directions in this industry. So I I love that. No, I, I mean, I absolutely agree. And I, you know, I kind of feel like you, you kind of find your people, you know, it's always very apparent whether someone is a true collaborator or not. It, it kind of, comes out in the wash. So, (laughs) you know, even I know over the past year, you reached out and were like, hey, you know, you want to get on the phone and just chat? And I was just like, that's really cool. And we had a fantastic conversation. So at that moment, I was like, yes, you know, we, we should definitely do more together. Yeah, no, and I'm I'm glad you responded to the invitation so, you know, graciously and took time to speak with me. I I actually had the good fortune of speaking it turns out to be with hundreds of people just with phone calls or video chats, especially throughout 2020. I mean, we all know, right? We weren't doing conventional business travel. And I, I mean, I normally travel to at least one trade show every month, if not four or five sometimes, you know, depending on the, the part of the calendar year. And that's how I talk to people. And just without a lot of those, whether they're scheduled or serendipitous conversations, I, I needed to stay connected. And I, I was really grateful for everyone like yourself who said, yeah, let's chat. Let's do something together. Let's let's keep the conversation going, even though we're not in the same space right now. 
I think you were much more organized about it than I was, but (laughs) (laughs) I kind of admire that. But, you know, you've become such a well-known voice in the beauty Mm -hmm. industry. And honestly, until I was prepping for this conversation, I had no idea that you just started your career in beauty in 2014. So can you share your backstory and how you found your way into the beauty industry? Sure, sure. You know, it's it's curious that we we started by thinking a little bit about, I think you mentioned something about my writing and, and the style of writing I do, because that's how I think of myself. I, br- I bring it up because I am a writer. And I, I was thinking about that more and more lately, because everything I do starts with writing, even like thinking about having this conversation. I made tons of notes, right? I'm, I'm a natural writer. And I, I've really come to appreciate the fact too, that I think I'm an essayist. You know, it's something that resonated with me very strongly when I was young, maybe, you know, junior high or high school, probably when I was required to write quite a lot of essays. But it's really a format that I enjoy. And it's a big part of what I do today. You know, I mean, it, like I said, if it's a presentation, I'm writing. If it's an article, I'm writing. If it's a video, I'm scripting it. I'm writing it most times. Or even if it's just an interview, you know, if I'm on your side of the microphone, you know, I outline the questions that I want to have in the same sort of fashion that you do. And I've always been a writer. Like I was looking through some papers with my family, you know, that they had saved from my childhood. I think the last time I was visiting and there were actually drawings of me making like drawings of written documents before I could write. I would just take a sheet of paper and sort of draw the lines in the shape of a standard letter format or on a little three by five card as if I were officially making notes for some such thing. Like I was I was drawing pictures of of written items before I could write, you know, and of course, I've had all sorts of jobs over the course of my life. But if I, I look at sort of how I landed in the work I'm doing now, I would follow that that line through writing. You know, I've been to university a few times. And at one point, I helped edit a university run newspaper. The first magazine piece I published was actually in a magazine that caters to the automatic transmission rebuilding industry. So a little bit outside the realm. Oh my God, that's amazing. (laughs) I had a, a role in academic publishing, which I really was really the moment when I started thinking, oh, this is kind of what I do. It was a a publication called Signs, the Journal of Women and Culture and Society. I actually co-founded another publication with um, one of my colleagues there that's an online review site for new media and, and films, if you will, that we called Films for the Feminist Classroom. And it actually happens to still exist. I'm no longer involved. Um, but if you're super curious about what's going on in the feminist university classroom these days, you can check that out. I interned with the Feminist Press again, so something in book publishing. For quite a number of years, I belonged to a professional organization uh, here in the New York area called New York Women in Communications. There I did a lot of writing blog posts and social media content for that organization. And then just not, not too long before I landed at Cosmetics Design, I had a role where I wrote daily news items at a very fast clip for a digital book publishing website, but, you know, trade facing. So folks that were interested in that industry per se. You know, but when I heard about an opening for Ill Reporter, right, there was a site called Cosmetics Design. I had never heard of it, right? you know, and I was like, okay, <laughs> this sounds like a writing job and I can do that. So, um, you know, as sort of unglamorous as my arrival in the beauty industry was, I, that's that's really about it. I can write. 
You know, Deanna, I think that's why I have always been compelled to sort of what you write, because I think you, you're you clearly a natural writer. I'm not a writer. It has been a long journey to get here and out of necessity, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, I spent the first 25 years of my career in beauty on the brand side. Yeah. And I always had business partners that were fantastic writers. So I wouldn't write. I would just let them write. And I remember the first time someone asked me to write an article for a trade publication, and it literally took me like three days to write 500 words. It was absolute torture. And sometimes it is still torture. So I have so much respect for people who are word people and and natural writers. And writing B2B is, I think people don't realize that it's very different than writing consumer-facing content. It's slightly, it's ever so slightly different. But it's a huge difference kind of in a successful B2B piece versus B2C. But can you give some context to our listeners a little bit about your job as editor of cosmetics design? And because we we do speak to the beauty industry, but on the podcast, you never know who's going to come across yeah. through, you know, however they're searching for content. Yeah. And I love that you pointed out the difference between B2B or trade media and what we might think of as consumer media, right? A lot of the magazines that we can pick up on the newsstand. I mentioned earlier that I I had spent some time at an academic publication. And when I was thinking about like, okay, maybe I want to be a writer, maybe I want to do something with the fact that I can write. I just thought I'm so serious. Like what? Like, that's actually how I am. Like, I am not a fun person. People are always like, oh, I want to get to know you better. I'm like, you already do. This is it. <laughs> you know, so I was, I think I was, I was kind of fortunate to land in B2B media, because that's another piece of that's authentically how I write. That's how I think and, and how I go about it. But yeah, so I'm currently the editor of this business news site called cosmeticsdesign.com. The publication covers ingredients, packaging, science, and really a spectrum of business topics for folks in the beauty industry. I've been writing for the site for over six years now. I probably want to toss in the caveat that my ideas and opinions that I'm sharing with you today are mine. (laughs) They are not those of WRBM, the company that publishes cosmetics design. And that's true, you know, across platforms, if you will. There's so much, you know, media circulating, like everything I do on social media is mine. and, And the company is very careful to make that distinction with its writers. So I do want to throw that in, you know, but I think my day-to-day work looks a lot like many people's day-to-day work. There's a lot of email, right? Um, I look at a lot of press releases and PR pitches. I do interviews, whether it's over the phone or, you know, by email. I think I've conducted a handful of interviews over message system on LinkedIn over the years. And as you might suspect, I spend a bulk of my day writing. Um, you know, we put out daily news on cosmeticsdesign.com. And so I'm I'm writing pretty frequently, um, and and at what I like to call a digital pace, and then, you know, publishing those pieces. So loading them into the content management system, making choices that have to do with search engine optimization and sort of in terms of titles and subtitles, um, and the sorts of language I use, there's a bit of social media involved, cosmetics design does have a, its own space on Facebook, its own Twitter, that sort of thing. Um, so there are occasional posts, but yeah, I mean, my my job is I still really do think of it as as being a writer, um, and it is mostly you know I guess the the piece of the work that I'm I'm kind of overlooking there is filtering through all of that that's coming through my email or my messaging or the phone calls and the conversations I have, and then you know deciding what shows up in the news or what form it takes, and I. 
I mostly trust myself to do that. And that's something that I've been able to do more and more over the years of working, you know, at cosmetics design, much in the same way that, you know, hearing folks talk about what you spoke of, you know, a moment ago, you know, not being a natural writer is a real thing too, you know, and I, I, I don't even want to say I took it for granted. I didn't realize I was a good writer. I didn't realize other people couldn't do this. And by virtue of just producing content and content and content and content every day at Cosmetics Design, I realized I can do this and I can do this very well. And the same thing happened for me with that sort of filtering system. What needs to show up in the news? Who's saying something new? Who's saying something interesting? Going at a digital pace and turning out, you know... Uh, it doesn't happen all the time, but you know, it can be up to, you know, 10 or 15 pieces a week over the course of my years, depending on the, the publishing schedule that they've asked me to address. I really learned to trust myself because I realized it was working, right? What I was sharing with the audience was generating traffic, did have, you know, great interest. And, you know, when I was going to trade shows or having conversations with people, I could hear their feedback and know how much the work was resonating. So a lot of sort of the the doubt or the, I want to say like artificial strategizing, right, that may have taken place trying to determine, is this news? Do I write about this? I've just sort of learned to trust my experience and my intuition and know that even if for some reason I'm thinking, oh, you know, should I really write about insect derived beauty ingredients today? Yeah, I should. <laughs> you know, <laughs> even if it feels a little wacky, I'm going to I'm going to follow through with it because I, I know in the end it will it will resonate and be important. You know, Deanna, it's interesting because I think that while writing does not come naturally to me, there is a testament to if you do something enough times, you can get better at it because Absolutely. I have become a better writer and I if I'm in the zone, I can crank things out. Yeah. But to your point, I think that everyone that's kind of covering beauty is getting the same press releases. But I think one of the things is sort of the curation process, like what you find interesting versus what I find interesting or how we approach it is really sort of what what makes us different. But if your inbox looks anything like my <laughs> inbox, just like tackling the sheer volume of inbound emails is it's really, really a challenge. So I know I have my own way of kind of weeding through all of that. But what gets your attention when it comes to pitches and press releases? I probably have a little bit of what I might call cliche advice here, because I, I, I hear other editors saying it quite often. But you know, a human approach is is really quite clever. If you know my name and can spell it and have seen the publication before, and I can understand that in the first line or so, that always works a little bit better. But besides having a human approach, obviously having a, a relationship, and that's something that takes time to build. But if it were someone I didn't know at all, and they were reaching out, I would really say, be conscientious of the person you're reaching out to, not just as a person, but think about the work they're doing, right? So Kelly, like, like yourself, I'm writing online news, and often that has a much quicker pace, right? So I'm not going to necessarily entertain pitches for something that 
isn't launching for six or eight months in the same way that perhaps a, a print publication might be more interested to receive news that early. I also really respect folks for putting together what I might call a complete press kit, right? And also a thorough press release, but a press kit that includes accessible photos. And that's usually through a link to a Google Drive or something. Obviously, contact information. I want to know who I can follow up. I want to know if or that there's an interview opportunity. And thinking about a strong press release, I would hope that there are quotes. And I usually advise folks to include multiple voices. That human email or pitch not only helps with one particular news item, but I think helps start to establish a relationship and do really maintain a relationship over time. You know, and then besides sort of having full and complete information, obviously the topic or issue, if you will, is important. And that's something that you kind of, you probably can't get in the back of my brain and and second guess those details. But I would say too, that it's important to show up in multiple ways, right? Don't just show up with a, you know, a, a PR pitch and, you know, your brand social media or your ingredient company's social media. I'm going to snoop around when I'm trying to decide, am I covering this, you know, this story that today or this week, I'm going to look and see if you have sort of a, you know, business blog content, I am going to look at those social media posts, more often on LinkedIn, because of the community I reach. But yeah, I mean, I, I think these pieces matter a lot, I'm going to be interested or rather, I should say, I'm going to notice if you're speaking at events, right? If you are some sort of expert in the field or subject matter expert. And of course, I'm going to look at your site copy. You know, I'm not looking at it necessarily as copy, but I am looking at it to see, like, are you any different than the, you know, hundreds of others that are, you know, the only X, Y, Z. And I I think that speaks to the fact that it's important, whether it's a brand or a consultant or a packaging company or a manufacturing company, whoever it is, to know their marketplace, right? I know it's very important to establish your business based on your own vision and, and DNA or mission, but it's also important once you have that securely situated to look around and figure out where you fit. Because, uh, you know, when you do approach the media, they're naturally going to have, or I'm naturally going to have just by virtue of covering the industry for for the time that I have, I'm going to have a a sense of where you fit in the marketplace. And if, if you don't, or if you're trying to tell me something that doesn't really make any sense, you know, in the context of the industry I'm looking at, it's very unlikely that you'll, you'll capture my attention. Yeah, I mean, you know, I 100% agree with you. I mean, there are some publicists I love working with because Mm -hmm. I know they're going to make my life easy. I'm going to have everything I need in one email, quotes, more photos than I could use. Because like you said, I mean, in some cases, you're, you're writing 15 pieces a week. That's a lot of content to have to generate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I also, you know, having been a brand founder, I have so much respect for someone who will take the time to write a very personal email. And I'm more compelled to be like, yeah, you know, they took the time to do this. I'm get, I'm going to help them out. They're just getting started. I don't know about you, but those kind of personal emails that are really thoughtful are kind of few and far between. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I appreciate them you know, as you're suggesting, they can come from, you know, new brand founders or folks trying to break into the market. And that's a very good approach if you are new, but it's a very good approach, no matter what. 
I appreciate those sorts of emails when they come from, you know, ingredient supply companies, whether it's, you know, a marketing professional there or a sales professional who I may have met at a trade show or an executive who reaches out or makes a post or leaves a comment on something I do on social media, you know, which is actually another place to capture attention, not just with posts, but being engaged with a lot of writers or journalists, if you're looking to get press coverage, you know, and a lot of folks suggest reaching out to media over Twitter. But I think, you know, being able to have some sort of banter, whether it's back and forth and personal email exchange, like you're describing Kelly, or, you know, on a social platform, it, it goes a very long way. And it's rare, right, that someone is going to sort of be interested in this industry for a very short time and never see you again, right? In some form or fashion, it's you will too keep small. showing up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so like, you know, even if even if you, I don't know, there's nothing, there's no reason not to build a relationship. There's no reason not to. I just think, you know, whether you're, you know, about to change companies or you're about to, maybe you've been in marketing and now all of a sudden you think you, I don't know, you want to, you know, be a writer or you want to, maybe you're studying chemistry and you, you know, end up working in the lab eventually, which isn't to say there aren't marketers with chemistry degrees already, but it kind of doesn't matter what your trajectory is. Yeah. If you're going to stay in this industry for more than five minutes, take the time to to do something human and, and it will go a long way, not just for press coverage this week, but for your career in general, I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the power of content is so profound. I could have never imagined moving from kind of being a beauty brand to covering a beauty brand. It was kind of happenstance. Yeah. And it is all about sort of the power of content. Thinkers, innovators, experts, generating ideas for the business of beauty. Beauty Matter has built its reputation as a must-read resource for beauty industry insiders, delivering future-focused insights and actionable solutions. With the speed of innovation and increased competition in the category, access to the right analysis and intelligence is more critical than ever. Make an investment in yourself and unlock a competitive edge with a subscription to Beauty Matter. Head over to beautymatter.com to check out our content. And as a listener to our podcast, use the code UNLOCK25 for a 25% discount. You know, you are so much more than just sort of an editor covering the news and trends from a B2B perspective. You are a thought leader in the true sense of the word. Was that evolution intentional or did it happen organically? Because you really do nurture it. And I know that that takes a lot of commitment from a time perspective. It does. It does. And I appreciate your pointing that out. I want to say the answer is both in terms of was it intentional or organic? You know, working as a, a beauty business news writer, you know, like I suggested earlier, it let me see not only that I am a good writer, right, that I can trust my own instincts when it comes to choosing news, but it also has given me the opportunity to really recognize and showcase that I cover news differently. And I hear that time and time again from readers that I meet at events or, you know, that I get to have phone calls or video chats with or exchanges on social media, that my work is quite different. I 
and you might be able to guess this, uh, listening to the, you know, some of the job titles I rattled off earlier, right, where the words like woman and feminist kept showing up, I, I very intentionally use language and images in a way that supports the success of women. It's super important to me. And just by virtue of the work I do, it gave me opportunities to be visible and vocal in beauty, right? And that's important for me, again, in terms of the success of women. I think it's it's critical that we are visible and vocal figures in our own lives and beyond that, right, in the beauty industry or wherever we might work or spend much of our time. And I think it's, you know, it was organic, but it was also something that sort of the fact that I'm saying it's important to me was sort of an internal drive or inspiration, right? Like I was in some way compelled to do this because I realized and appreciate the value I've gotten from seeing other women in visible and vocal positions. I mean, everyone from the folks who are, you know, presenting the weather, you know, meteorologists that I'm looking at, you know, to to more sort of conventional media role models or, or corporate role models, even political role models, you know, and I very much think that you and I probably wouldn't be having this conversation today if I really just sat at my desk and thought of myself as a writer, right? I have intentionally stood up and spoken up over and over again to develop myself as a as a voice and a thought leader in the industry. And I, it's terrifically helpful. I think I sent you a note about this beforehand, but I took care to write up some of the lessons I learned on my thought leadership journey, really in the last month or so as I've been thinking about it. It's as much about being a writer and a well-respected voice, you know, and, and there are some little tidbits about, I suppose, my, my personal life in there, maybe my personal professional life, I should say, <laughs> there's nothing too juicy in there. But I think there's some, you know, some good ideas about speaking up and being heard. And I think, I think it's the sort of project, you might guess this, right? Because I've been saying like, it's important to me, I felt compelled to do this. I almost want to say I feel compelled to encourage other women to do the same thing. And I have some of the biggest rewards I get from my work and people have asked me like, Oh, what's your favorite article you wrote this year? What's you know, what are you most proud of? And the thing I come back to over and over again is the opportunity to celebrate the successes of women. And sometimes those are women who are, you know, waving their hands and saying, look at me, I'm doing something great over here. And I'm like, yeah, you are. Let's talk about it. And sometimes there are women who are, you know, quietly working away, doing excellent work, phenomenal work, brilliant work in, you know, whatever aspect of the industry they're in. And I'm, you know, I have to kind of draw them out and build that relationship myself and say, you know, let's chat, let's feature your your insights and your expertise. Um, I think there's just there's a lot of room for thought leadership in this industry and so many brilliant people who who I wish would step up. And I, I hope that, that my work in some fashion has encouraged that. I did read those tips and I love <laughs> I loved it because it, it was deeply personal. You could tell that, but there was such wisdom and kind of simple wisdom in it. We'll definitely embed a link when this lives online in the transcript because it's really, really, really good information. But you also started a series called Do Views and that is yours. And can you share a little bit about why you started that and kind of the strategy behind it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I like to say DU views. Because, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, well, because I am DU. I am Deanna Utrusky, oh, right? So right. These, are my, these are my cute initials. <laughs> um, but um, the, the DU view series is, is really quite simply my insights. And it's my insights on trends, on movements, on innovations that I see as critical to beauty today. I mentioned earlier that I'm an essayist and I, you know, 
after I've been creating these videos for almost a year and a half now, it kind of slapped me in the face that these are my essays, right? These are my weekly essays on what's going on in the beauty industry. If you haven't seen the DU Views video series yet, you can find it on LinkedIn just by searching hashtag DU Views, V-I-E-W-S. And soon, actually, every one of my videos, all the way back to the start of 2020, as well as uh, the full text versions, will live on my website. So actually, DeannaUtruski.com, which is a little challenging to spell, but uh, Kelly mentioned the <laughs> transcript, so <Yes. laughs> I think you can find it there. But when I launched DU Views at the start of 2020, I was really talking about beauty industry trends and movements. I looked back recently and I, I had done a piece on sustainable packaging, right? Super pertinent topic. Personal care for kids was one piece. Uh, design innovation was another piece. And I had started doing this with the notion that beauty overlaps with so many interesting technologies and industries. And if I could sort of pick one of those on a weekly or even monthly basis and just sort of share that overlap, it would be an opportunity for, you know, technology transfer and information sharing. And I could, you know, start to have conversations with larger audiences beyond beauty that saw interest and value here. But we all know how 2020 went um, before too long. My series was not so much about trends. It was about the industry in the midst of a pandemic. And I really started talking about how people, brands, different organizations or companies were responding to and surviving through what I'm hearing called now an impossible year. Um, so I'm grateful that all of us listening and myself and, and you, Kelly, have made it this far. Here we are in 2021, and DU Views really, in some ways, I guess, it's still about COVID. Everything we're doing has a, a relationship to the pandemic. But really, since January... I'm covering, again, more of those trends and movements that are critical as it pertains to COVID. I, I did do a piece in January about products and ingredient innovations that look at pandemic fatigue. So I included mention of a moisturizer spray from an indie brand called Planted in Beauty, so a touch-free product. There was a breath-cleaning product I mentioned in there called Mouth Off, which is apparently in tremendous demand now that we're all wearing facial coverings and, and people are breathing themselves in. <laughs> um, the truth is coming out. But yeah, it's, it's really essays on on what I see going on in the industry. And, you know, I, I mentioned, I think, at the start of our conversation that I really do process the world around me in terms of writing. You know, if I have a project to do, sometimes I'll write the email that needs to go out at the end so that I can see like, oh, I just made my checklist, where if I just sat down to create a checklist, it would it would be a little bit more challenging for, for my brain to do it. But if I put it together as a, oh, hey, Kelly, I've completed these six tasks, now I can see what six tasks I need to do. And so as much as there's a strategy behind content creation for me, it's also it's sort of just a necessary process so I can get through the week without having a, a brain overload. I think I'm like, okay, let's get this off, off the table. That's what I'm up to. No, you know, it's very interesting. I always love to get insight into creative people, uh, their process, because everyone's process is different. And, you know, I think yeah. I'm more of a reader than I was a writer. So, you know, Beauty Matter early on became sort of this repository of my own personal things that interest me because we started out aggregating content, not doing a whole lot of original content. And yeah. I would be doing advisory work and I would be searching my own website because I'm like, I know I wrote about that. So it became kind of my own kind of resource. And 
I guess I'm much more visual than I am written. But you know, yeah, one of yeah. one of the things that you spoke about in the the five tips, the content piece you referred to earlier, was this concept of expanding your circle of trust. Can you unpack that a little bit for us? Because I just I love the sentiment of it. Yeah, when I say expand your circle of trust, and it was it was a a lesson I learned, like you were suggesting, right, sort of on my thought leadership journey was this opportunity or almost necessity to expand my circle of trust. And it came out of the fact that, again, I, I've been getting more clear, and I think this happens to a lot of us as we mature, right, on who we are, and how we function and, and how we operate. I was I was nodding along vigorously, as you were saying, you know, this is my repository, this is how I research, I look at what I write. And yeah, it is, we, we sort of create our own resources and our own processes. But I learned that I was already trusting myself, right? I was going to sit down at my desk every day and do this job. And I knew I could do it. I knew I was a good writer. I knew I was a good news writer. I knew I had valuable information and, you know, trend predictions to share with the industry. And it was just a matter really of saying, I actually trust myself enough to invite other people to trust me too. And that's what lets me sit here and chat with you on a podcast. It's what lets me get up on stage at in cosmetics global or Lux pack and say, here's what I see going on, you know, and have conversations among different experts. I think it's awesome when you can trust yourself. And I think it's awesome when you, you know, it's okay to let other people trust you too, because they probably already do, right? Whether you're a, a business owner, and you know, your clients and your partners trust you, or you're working at a company, they trust you not just to show up, right? And, and sort of be a warm body. I don't think that's what anyone's getting a salary for these days. It's what you can do and what you can do well. And, and once you can expand that circle of trust and invite others to come into that circle, then there you are, you have the opportunity to be a thought leader, and you're listened to and respected and, and rightly so. So what are some of the trends that are kind of top of mind for you right now? Yeah, well, <laughs> this is sort of a, a large and expansive topic. Um, yeah. I actually want to preface my answer just by saying that even though I do talk quite a bit and, and write a bit about finished goods, and a lot of people know me and my work for coverage of the independent beauty movement, my perspective is really more focused on ingredients, emerging science, packaging, manufacturing, that side of the beauty industry. Um, but I can run through, uh, you know, a handful or so of the trends I'm looking at right now. As I mentioned with the DU Views video series, I'm looking at different innovations, whether it's product format or product function or ingredient developments that have to do with pandemic fatigue. There are certainly um, some shifts in marketing language, but also some real shifts in the ingredient space looking at pandemic fatigue. Also something that I am not the only one watching are packaging material innovations, right? We're talking a lot about plastic and what plastic looks like and functions like in a zero waste economy. It's definitely still there. I can tell you that at this point, although there are tremendous advances in, you know, what we're calling molecular recycling or using biological mechanisms to cleave molecules that were previously scare quotes, uncleavable, right? Um, undegradable. I look at sustainable packaging materials from companies like Sulapack or the Better Packaging Company. I was intrigued to learn, I think it was last year, about a, a company called Verity, which is putting the stake in the ground when it comes to aluminum and metal material beauty packaging, so stainless steel as well. I think there's just a lot going on advancing what's possible in sustainable packaging materials, maybe off 
off of that a little bit, still in the sustainability space, we're all talking about carbon neutral, carbon negative, carbon capture, what's going on there. I'm definitely paying attention to how beauty makers, packaging suppliers, and consumers are responding to those sort of sustainability issues. Hygiene chic, or just even personal hygiene, as unglamorous as it has always been, is much more popular now. Thinking about the power of touch, what is and isn't sanitary. There are more and more tools and applicators showing up, product innovations, sampling innovations. I'm thinking a lot about well-being, which might sound like something we've already been talking about, but I think it goes farther than wellness. I think it goes farther than self-care. I think it starts to cross into healthcare and pharma and supplements. And I know that there is an enormous regulatory canyon between, you know, cosmetics and healthcare products per se. But we know that ingredient suppliers serve both industries readily. We know that packaging companies serve both suppliers readily. We know that consumers are living lives that closely connect, right? Health, wellness, beauty, personal care, self-care, especially over the past year or so. I think I think there's a lot going on there. I don't know how it's going to shape up um, because of regulatory and commercial barriers, but um, there's definitely something going on there. I'm paying attention to trends in what I might call the diverse consumer space, right? So obviously we're looking at some genuine advances, I hope, in terms of what has long been called the multicultural consumer, but, you know, serving black and brown and Asian, indigenous, all sorts of people much more genuinely, right? The textured hair movement has been coming for years, you know, 2019, 2020, now 2021, big things going on there. I would also mention in terms of diverse consumers, what I call menopause beauty or beauty for women over 40. I'm seeing so much innovation, so many new brands launching, but also, again, ingredient suppliers innovating for this space. Ingredients developed and tested for skincare concerns or or healthcare concerns of women over 40. And, and they're just you know, um, I, I want to say infinite potential because I'm a woman over 40, right? But I think, I think there is tremendous market potential. We know as everyone, not everyone, but there is a, a huge population rise among folks over 40, a terrific amount of consumer spend available and going on there. I'll mention one more umbrella trend here that I'm paying careful attention to, and I'm just going to call it ingredient trends in general. Sometimes for me, that looks like sophisticated naturals, right? Whether it's blends of ingredients to make more uh, strategic benefit claims, like when we see people blending cannabinoids with other ingredients um, so they can make maybe an anti-inflammatory claim that the consumer thinks belongs with cannabinoids, but cannot yet, you know, because of certain regulations or different marketplace stipulations, make that claim simply based on a cannabinoid. But that's happening. There are a lot of sophisticated natural blends coming onto the market. Biotech ingredients has really hit its stride. There's so much coming from the biotech space now. And I'm I'm particularly excited. I don't know if you're watching it yet, Kelly, but this C16 Biosciences. Yes. Yeah. I mean, like, I just cannot wait to see what, what she's up to. I agree with you. I mean, I really think that... You know, leading into the pandemic, I was kind of, you know, I've been in the industry 25 years and I'm like, oh, yeah, another brand. It just felt like everything was looking the same. And all of a sudden, 
kind of in the middle of the pandemic, it was almost as if innovation went into overload and people almost had the permission to rethink everything. And the people who leaned into that are doing amazing things. I think we're going to have sort of such a period of kind of redefining what beauty is. And I agree with you. I mean, I think healthcare is going to look a whole lot like beauty, actually. Ah, yes. Yes. I like that. I like that angle. I think, and I think they have, um, they, whoever they yeah, are, whoever they are. Industry, <laughs> I'm sure they're lovely people. Um, but in terms of regulatory hurdles or commercialization hurdles, they're in a much better position to leverage the beauty consumer than the, the beauty brands are in a position to leverage, you know, the health marketplace. But yeah, I mean, I'm also, yeah. you know, I, th I think about with C16 Biosciences, I just want to sort of finish up that thought and say that the company CEO there, Shara Tiku, they're working and producing now, as I understand it, alternatives to palm oil with biotechnology. And it's just the market in and beyond beauty is absolutely tremendous. And we'll have, if this goes as well as it looks like it's going from the outside, just tremendous impact in terms of sustainability. I'm also looking still at fermentation in the biotech space, but also mushrooms and not just as ingredients in and of themselves, but as ingredient manufacturing facilities, you know, in the same way that we use, you know, different microorganisms like bacteria or yeast in the case of fermentation to develop biotech ingredients. I think there's going to be a lot coming from sort of the fungus and mushroom space in the years to come. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I completely agree with you said in terms of innovation going into overdrive. I think there was sort of a moment when everyone was pivoting, right? And a moment when everyone was sort of holding their breath. And then it was just like, we've got a lot of work to do. Let's go. And and I, I think we saw that both in terms of innovation, in terms of digital technology, in terms of growth in so many ways. Yeah, I agree. So I have one last question for you. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, I can't imagine you not working in beauty. You just <laughs> feel like so ingrained into the beauty industry. But what are your hopes for the future of the industry? You know, if you could change one thing, what would it be? Yeah, I I appreciate you're saying that I fit in here to beauty because I, I think I'm sticking around <laughs> for the for the foreseeable future. Um, I, I quite like the work that I do. Um, I don't always know where it's going to take me next, but but this is where I belong. If I could change one thing about the beauty industry, I would say that I would I would still want to see more transparency and more knowledge sharing, which I think extends into more collaboration, right? More collaboration between the industry and consumers, more collaboration among industry insiders. I just think there's so much potential and yeah, just so much room to really let this industry, I don't want to say lead others, but be, you know, even a stronger example in the marketplace. And yeah, I just think there, I want to, I want to just emphasize the knowledge sharing aspect of it because, you know, there are perfectly valid intellectual property reasons and technology reasons for some of, of what we think about the, as maybe the secrecy in the beauty industry. But there are so many opportunities uh, when we, when we can, you know, set those on the table as they are and then be transparent with a lot of the other information and expertise that folks have. I've actually, kind of come to see my work in beauty over the years, almost as an ambassador sort of role, like being an ambassador between various expert groups or industry stakeholders. And I just, it, it just has led me to, to believe that, yeah, the industry could be a lot more fabulous if there was, you know, additional transparency and better collaboration. I think that there is a movement among 
a group of people in the industry. And I think it it sort of appears more in the realm of sustainability mm-hmm. because I think people who are truly committed to sustainability and changing things realize that one brand can only make a very small difference. And, you know, you see sort of the open sourcing of information or the collaboration and the knowledge sharing. And, you know, I agree with you. You know, I I think that there are still a lot of people who are kind of of that old, that mindset of, you know, secrecy. I remember I was speaking at a kind of, I think it was an ingredient summit or something. And someone asked me, and I was speaking about transparency Uh and someone asked me about, you know, they were talking about their IP and it just came flying out of my mouth. I was like, no one cares. (laughs) Nobody cares. (laughs) Like the brands are being forced to be transparent and they can't be transparent if you're not transparent. Mm-hmm. So talk to your comms people and figure out how to talk about something. But it's my IP, like doesn't really fly anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And when I talk to people who have been in the industry for decades and really been even on the corporate side, there is so much impressive technology. You can reverse engineer and I probably shouldn't say it out loud, but you know, almost any formula, almost any ingredient technology, almost any fragrance blend, it's it's not as as secret as as you know the folks yeah. who hold the intellectual property would like to think and i i think the real shift can come when those institutions organizations individuals that are so invested in that that concept of secrecy realize that their value is even bigger than that intellectual property and they you know really should connect with their comms team and and start talking about something because there's you know amazing amazing things to be gained by by sharing that that larger value I agree. So Deanna, what is the best way for people to get in touch with you or follow your thought leadership Absolutely. Thank you for asking that. The best way to get in touch with me directly is my fun little email address, which is hello at DeannaUtruski.com. Um, so once again, Kelly, if you'll spell out my name nicely in your show notes, folks can find me. But if you want to look at the DU Views series, that's on LinkedIn, and you can just hashtag DU Views in the search bar, and you'll you'll find me that way. Everywhere on social media, I'm Deanna Utruski. I happen to be the only one. <laughs> so that's delightfully that's convenient. Yeah, yeah, I kind of like that. If you're interested in the news I write for Cosmetics Design, it's cosmeticsdesign.com. Deanna, thank you so much for taking the time today and really looking forward to seeing you in real life at a trade show. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> who, would, who would say that I miss trade shows, but I do. <laughs> I do too. I do too. And I have to thank you, Kelly, just for you know being a notable voice in beauty. Um, it's been my pleasure to be on your show today. Oh, thank you so much, Deanna. Absolutely. For Deanna, it's a matter of thought leadership. She has the ability to identify and interpret beauty trends early, plainly, and accurately. She is equally as comfortable in the world of technology and science on the supply side of the industry as she is teasing out the stories of spirited founders. Deanna is well-known and a respected voice in the industry, who is the embodiment of a thought leader. While she is a visible and vocal professional in her own right, she is on a personal mission to inspire and empower other women to find their voices and to tap into the power of content. So in the end, it's a matter of thought leadership, and that's what matters. 
I'm Kelly Kovac. See you next time. Hi, I'm Deanna Utrusky. To me, what matters is thought leadership because someone is guiding the conversation. Someone is planting ideas and sparking innovation. Who that someone is, um, or perhaps I should say who those someones are, will determine the direction and future of the cosmetics industry. It's a Matter Of is a production of Beauty Matter LLC. You can find more content and insights on beautymatter.com and follow us on social media at Beauty Matter Official. This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard.